As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. A History of Royal Pets Man's Best Friend and King's Most Loyal Subject Dogs, cats, and other pets have long been beloved companions of royalty and nobility. And many of the breeds we know today came into existence by royal command. From cats worshipped in Egypt to dogs shrunk in China. From the terrier who was faithful unto Mary Queen of Scots' bloody end to the pug who ruined Napoleon's wedding night. From the felines who ruled the Palace of Versailles to Queen Elizabeth's beloved corgis. Let's take a look at the pampered lives of royal pets through the centuries. Around 40,000 years ago in Central Europe, humans and wolves formed an unlikely partnership. Wolves gathered near human settlements and feasted on surplus food scraps, and humans got protection and later hunting partners in return. Slightly more recently, about 9,000 years ago, humans attempted to tame the untamable, the cat. African wildcats lived in symbiosis with farmers in the Fertile Crescent, keeping their granaries free of rodents. Cats, and especially dogs, became incredibly useful and prized animal companions. They were bred by humans to bring out desirable traits, like loyalty, speed, and agility, and also size and cuteness thus transforming the fierce gray wolf and African wildcat into the docile creatures we share our beds with today. And the picks of the litters became the pets of royalty and nobility. Ancient Egyptian royals favored the greyhound, and they made it illegal for common people to own one. The Egyptians worshipped cats. The goddess Bastet has the head of a cat. These prized pets were often mummified and buried with their owners. Ancient Greek and Roman nobility also favored greyhounds for hunting, and the Maltese as a small household companion. Animals who lived with common people had to earn their keep by hunting, herding, and protecting. But animals that lived with royals got to lounge in the lap of luxury. And because the wealthy didn't need their pets to work for a living, they were free to breed them into ever more fanciful and impractical shapes and sizes. You wouldn't expect a papillon to hunt down a deer to feed its master's family, 
but they were perfect for cuddling on the lap of a princess. The Pekingese may be the oldest lap dog in the world. They were bred in ancient China to be small enough to fit inside a man's sleeve. For centuries, they were only allowed to be owned by imperial and noble families. But large and athletic hunting dogs have always been popular with royalty too. British Mastiffs were famous for their ferocity. They charged fearlessly into battle alongside their humans and were imported to ancient Rome to fight in the army. Mastiffs fought alongside King Henry V at the Battle of Agincourt in 1415. Greyhounds made their way to Britain in the Middle Ages and were again prized by royalty. In 1014, King Canute made it illegal for common people to own them. Henry VIII was especially fond of this swift hunting dog and had a favorite pair called Cut and Ball. On New Year's Day, courtiers would line up to present the king with the most impressive gift they could afford. But despite the many jewels, silver, and swords he received, Henry's favorite gifts were dogs. His first wife, Catherine of Aragon, favored a more unusual pet, the capuchin monkey, which reminded her of her happy childhood in southern Spain. Henry VIII's Lord Chancellor, Cardinal Wolsey, was more of a cat person. He appointed his feline friend, the Chief Mouser, to the cabinet office, a post that has remained filled ever since by a long line of felines. The current Chief Mouser, Larry, has been employed at the Prime Minister's house, number 10 Downing Street, since 2011. But cats whose eyes were thought to be glimpsing into hell were kept at arm's length by most medieval people. While they were tolerated for their skills at keeping the rat population and thus the deadly bubonic plague in check, they were only kept as personal pets by the most eccentric nobles. Cats were far more popular as pets in the Byzantine and Ottoman empires, where they were first domesticated. The Turkish Angora, the first cat to have white fur, was bred there, as well as the tabby cat. Every household had at least one cat, who was considered part of the family. It was common for the wealthy to will some of their money when they died to feed stray cats and dogs which were fed out of soup kitchens alongside poor humans. The Ottoman sultans kept dozens of cats in their palaces, and felines lounged with the women in the harem, becoming cherished pets. One sultan created a special garden just for the palace cats. There was surely some conflict though, as the other favored pets of the palace were birds. Canines of the small and cuddly variety were very popular with upper-class women in France. Bichon Frise, Terriers, Maltese, Pomeranians, and many others were bred small to be tucked in the sleeves or warm the laps of noble ladies. King Henri III of France loved his Bichon so much that he wore it in a little basket around his neck. Mary, Queen of Scots, was sent to France as a baby to be raised alongside her future husband, Francois II. There, she was surrounded by a menagerie of pets, including four big dogs and 22 little lap dogs, as well as falcons and pet birds. After the early death of her husband, Mary returned to rule Scotland and brought many of her favorite dogs with her. 
she dressed them in blue velvet collars, provided a daily ration of their favorite treat, bread, and employed several boys to look after them. After her possible involvement in the murder of her second husband, Mary was kept under house arrest for 19 years. During this lonely time, the queen's pets took on a new importance. She kept caged birds, including turtle doves and Barbary fowls, and doted on her lapdogs. Mary got herself tangled up in a plot to assassinate her cousin, Queen Elizabeth of England, and she was sentenced to death. Mary's dearest friend stayed with her until the end. Her servants were refused entrance into the hall where the execution would take place, but her Sky Terrier stayed hidden in her skirts. Once the queen was finally dead, in a botched and bloody beheading, the poor creature crept out from beneath her petticoats, and in its distress hid piteously beneath the severed head and shoulders of the queen's body. The executioner washed the dog, which was splattered with blood, and had it sent to France to be cared for by an unnamed French princess. A century later, during the English Civil War, King Charles I was beheaded. His loyal dog, Rogue, a miniature spaniel, stayed steadfastly by his side as he went to the block. His son was invited back to be crowned king a decade later, and he was renowned for his love of toy spaniels. The Merry Monarch was first pictured with a spaniel at the age of five in this Van Dyke painting. The breed, the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, would eventually be named after him. The king frequently brought his furry companions with him to council meetings, much to the annoyance of Samuel Pepys, who wrote, All I observed there is the silliness of the king. Lord Rochester was more amused and composed the ditty, His very dog at council board sits grave and wise as any lord. The king's light-hearted nature endeared him to his people. They loved to see their monarch walk his dogs in St. James Park, spend hours playing with the birds in his aviary, and feed the ducks on the canal. Charles allowed his many spaniels to sleep in his bedchamber, much to the disgust of his many mistresses. The privileged pets gave birth and suckled their pups under his majesty's bed. Across the channel, King Louis XV of France adored cats and allowed them to roam free throughout the palace of Versailles. He had a favorite and particularly spoilt Persian white, which he refused to allow his courtiers to tease. Gray angoras were to be found on the lotto tables, patting the pieces with their paws. The palace was so like a menagerie that courtiers were often startled by barks, hisses, and howls, but were unable to complain to the animal lover-in-chief. Though Louis himself was a bit less enamored of his felines after one notable trip to the commode. His Majesty hadn't noticed that one of his Angora cats had curled up in the porcelain bowl. The cat attacked the king from behind, and Louis fled screaming and ringing all the bell poles. His granddaughter-in-law, Marie Antoinette, was more of a dog person. She was required by etiquette to leave her beloved pug Mops when at 15 she traveled from Austria to France to marry the future King Louis XVI. 
Mops was eventually returned to Marie, and she was gifted a Swedish dog named Odin by her secret lover, Count Fursen. The Dauphine's chief lady-in-waiting, Laure Auguste, Princess Duchemé, kept a pet monkey which once ran wild in her boudoir, covering itself with rouge and powder in imitation of its mistress, and then bounding into the dining room and terrifying all the guests. During the French Revolution, Josephine, Vicomtesse du Boranet, was imprisoned and held under constant threat of guillotine. Her children, still free, snuck the fierce family pug, Fortune, under the gates of the prison. The clever canine always found his mistress, and before long he tracked her down and couriered notes under his collar between her and her children. Josephine and Fortune both survived the revolution, but her first husband did not. On her second wedding night with Napoleon in 1796, her faithful dog ruined the bridegroom's plans for a night of passion. Fortune perched on his mistress's bed and refused to move. Napoleon wrote, I was told frankly that I must share the bed with him or sleep elsewhere. Napoleon tried to push the dog aside and was promptly bitten on the shin. After the wedding, Napoleon set about conquering much of Europe. He sent exotic pets back to his beloved wife, who kept an impressive menagerie at her estate, Malmaison. These included black swans, peacocks, llamas, and kangaroos. But her favorite animal was a sweet-natured female orangutan given to her by the governor of Mauritius. The empress named her Rose, dressed her in children's clothes, taught her to eat with a knife and fork at the dinner table, and allowed her to sleep in bed with her at night. Sadly, Rose did not adapt well to life in chilly France. Within a year, she fell ill. She was tucked in bed, and when her mistress came into the room, she greeted her with an appealing look, shook her head gently, and pressed Josephine's hand affectionately. When she died, Josephine donated her body to the Museum of Natural History. Dog breeds from different parts of the world began to evoke a sense of national pride, but they were often introduced and popularized in other countries by royals. When Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Strelitz traveled to the United Kingdom to wed George III, she brought her beloved Pomeranian with her, making it a favorite breed among British royals for the next century. The Russian Borzoi, also known as the Wolfhound, was bred to hunt its ancestors, wolves. They were a popular pet among Russian royalty, but in 1861, when serfdom was abolished, aristocratic families had to tighten their belts, and many were unable to keep their extensive kennels of prized dogs. The Borzoi was at risk of extinction, but Tsar Alexander II stepped in to preserve the breed and gave many Borzois as gifts to other crowned heads of Europe. The thoroughly imperial breed thus became coveted by the emerging upper class of the United States. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Queen Victoria of the UK had a lonely childhood. Her overbearing mother kept her sheltered in Kensington Palace and didn't allow her to see other children. At 12, she was gifted a King Charles Spaniel, whom she named Dash. The princess and the puppy soon became the closest of friends. She gave him a set of rubber balls and two pieces of gingerbread for Christmas. Dash was equally enamored of his mistress. She once went sailing and the dog jumped into the ocean to follow her. After the 18-year-old queen's grand coronation ceremony, she returned to Buckingham Palace and raced upstairs to her rooms to give Dash his bath. Dash died in 1840 and Victoria buried him at Adelaide Cottage in Windsor Park. A marble effigy was erected over the grave, bearing the inscription, Here lies Dash, the favorite spaniel of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. His attachment was without selfishness, his playfulness without malice, his fidelity without deceit. Reader, if you would be beloved and die regretted, profit from the example of Dash. He was the first in a line of dogs Victoria would adore. When she married German prince Albert of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha, he brought his greyhound Eos with him. Eos was trained to eat off a fork. Albert introduced his bride to a favored German breed, the Dachshund. Victoria kept several and popularized the breed in the UK. She had numerous other dogs, including a pug named Fatima and sky terriers named Isley and Dandy. She had five collies, all named Noble. Noble Four was a particularly well-behaved puppy and would hold a piece of cake in his mouth until he received a royal command to chew. Her ironically named Ludi was the first Pekingese in Britain. She had been a pet of the Chinese imperial family, but had been left behind in the Summer Palace in their haste to escape British attack during the Second Opium War. Ludi was seized by the army and presented to Queen Victoria. As royals have long been obsessed with bloodlines, Victoria took great pride in the pedigree of her dogs. She showed six of her Pomeranians in the first Crufts dog show in 1891. 
she started a breeding program at Windsor Castle, and each pup was registered with the Kennel Club. Victoria was also fond of cats, particularly Persians. She was the first British royal to keep pet cats in many generations, and popularized them as a pet in the UK. At 81, Queen Victoria fell ill while staying at Osborne House during the Christmas season of 1901. She asked for her dear Pomeranian, Turi, to be placed on her bed. She died surrounded by her family with her dear dog at her side. Victoria's son, King Edward VII, had a penchant for terriers. His favorites were a pair called Jack and Caesar. They were especially badly behaved and were notorious for urinating on the legs of foreign dignitaries. When the king died, Caesar was given pride of place in the funeral procession and had precedence over no less than nine foreign monarchs. Edward's wife, Queen Alexandra of Denmark, fit right in the family as she was also a renowned pet lover. She was often gifted dogs from foreign royals. Her sister, Tsarina Maria Fyodorovna of Russia, presented her with a prized borsoi. She had basset hounds, dachshunds, collies, semiyeds, fox terriers, pugs, and Pekingese. They were kept in luxurious kennels at Sandringham House. Whenever the busy queen was able to get away to the country, she loved to visit the kennels. She donned a white apron and lavished the dogs with pieces of bread as treats. The queen's prize purebred dogs were often shown at the Crufts Dog Show, and owning a Crufts champion became the height of fashion among the upper class of Europe and the rest of the world. The Maharaja of Junagadh, Muhammad Mahabat Khan, kept hundreds of pet dogs at his palace. Each canine had their own room and servant and a telephone in which to bark orders. They were dressed in evening wear for special occasions, were thrown birthday parties and paraded in rickshaws down the promenade. In 1922, Muhammad threw a wedding celebration for his beloved Roshanara and a golden retriever named Bobby, a Crufts champion imported from the UK for the marriage. Perfumed and in brocades and pearls, Roshanara was brought to the Durbar Hall in a palanquin, while Bobby was greeted at the train station by Mohammed, who rode an elephant and was accompanied by a military band and 250 brocade-dressed dogs, also riding elephants. The wedding breakfast was attended by 700 guests from princely families, who were entertained by singing, dancing girls, and Mendelssohn's wedding march. Once the marriage was consummated, Bobby was sent to the kennels, so that Roshanara could sleep at the end of her master's bed as usual. Queen Alexandra of the UK kept small dogs that she could carry under her arm as personal pets. Her favorites were two Japanese Spaniels named Billy and Punchy. They followed their mistress wherever she went and slept on silk pillows in her dressing room. Alexandra began to suffer deafness and found social situations stressful. She was much more content at home in the company of her children and pets. Her son, George V, was a serious man, so he took an interest in working dogs, particularly Labradors. He showed a slight silly side with his pet parrot, Charlotte, who perched on his finger and shared his breakfast each morning. 
During World War I, the royal family, who descended from a long line of German royals, tried hard to impress their Britishness upon their people. Foreign dog breeds lost favor with the newly renamed House of Windsor, especially the Dachshund. Instead, they favored Cairn Terriers from the Scottish Highlands. After King Edward VIII abdicated to marry Wallace Simpson, the couple broke with family tradition and began collecting pugs, a dog more associated with Britain's enemies on the continent. Their many pugs each had an engraved silver dish, and Wallace embroidered pillows of them all. Their choice of pet was yet another insult to his relatives, King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, who despised pugs. They presented their children, Elizabeth VII and Margaret IV, with a Pembroke Welsh corgi named Dookie. They got another corgi named Jane, and a third, Cracker, was the Queen Mom's personal favorite. She put the pups on a strict care regime and diet and did not abide her daughters sneaking them table scraps. The princesses were also presented with a chameleon by their cousin, Lord Louis Mountbatten, Governor General of India. The girls were enchanted. Margaret placed him on a copy of de Burt's Peerage and he immediately turned red. They often carried their scaly friend to the Buckingham Palace dining room, which he contentedly emptied of flies. Their nanny was less enamored and feared Margaret would sneak the reptile into her bed some night. When the chameleon died, Elizabeth insisted that they give him a proper funeral. The gamekeeper made a small white coffin and the princesses and their nanny buried him in the garden while Elizabeth hummed a funeral hymn. Corgis continued to be Elizabeth's favorite pet and have been closely associated with her. Her parents gave her Susan as an 18th birthday present, and the dog accompanied her and Prince Philip on their honeymoon. Elizabeth has had 30 corgis since her ascension in 1952, most of them descendants of Susan. The corgis sleep in their own room, the corgi room, in elevated wicker baskets and are served a fine menu of fresh rabbit, beef, and other delicious leftovers from the palace kitchens. Palace staff appreciate the corgis as an alarm system. The sound of their clicking toenails as they follow their mistress from room to room act as a warning of the queen's approach. In 2012, the corgis appeared in a sketch where James Bond actor Daniel Craig arrived at Buckingham Palace for a mission to take the queen to the 2012 London Olympic opening ceremonies. Later that year, the queen decided to stop breeding her beloved corgis, as she didn't want to leave any young dogs behind in the event of her death. In April 2018, her last corgi, Willow, died. She was buried in the pet cemetery at Sandringham House, along with Elizabeth's other corgis and royal family pets dating back to Queen Victoria's time. Elizabeth still has Candy, a Dorgie, a Dachshund and Corgi mix, first bred by the Queen herself. But after the death of her husband, Prince Philip, Elizabeth was presented with a Corgi puppy in 2021 by her granddaughters, Beatrice and Eugenie. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.